Expository Notes on the Epistles of Peter, the Second Epistle of Peter, Chapter 3, Looking on to the Culmination By H. A. Ironside As Peter looked forward to the day when he should seal his own testimony for Christ by laying down his life, as the Lord had foretold, he was the more anxious to arouse the saints generally to the importance of maintaining their confidence in what God had revealed concerning the prophetic future, or as we say, the last things. He had already reminded those to whom he wrote that prophecy is a lamp to lighten the pilgrim alone the dark road as he pursues his way through this world to the Canaan rest which will be his at the end of the journey. Now Peter stresses the importance of keeping the testimony of the prophets and apostles in mind, when many will spurn them entirely. Forgetting the past and denying the future. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, verses 1-7. In writing this second letter, guided by the Spirit of God, Peter was not endeavouring so much to open up new vistas of truth as to stir up the minds of the saints to the tremendous importance of keeping in memory what they had learned already. The words which were spoken in Old Testament times by the holy prophets, and the additional revelations communicated through the apostles of the new dispensation, should never be forgotten. Peter himself wrote as one of the latter group, having been definitely commissioned as an apostle by the Lord Jesus, and recognized by his brethren as being peculiarly adapted to make known the gospel to the Jews. When Paul tells us in the epistle to the Galatians that the brethren at Jerusalem acknowledged that the gospel of the uncircumcision had been committed to him as that of the circumcision had been committed to Peter, Galatians 2 verse 7. We are not to suppose that he meant thereby that there was any fundamental difference in the messages themselves. It was rather that God had fitted Paul in a very definite way to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, whereas Peter was more adapted to minister the word of grace to the Jews. As a result of his ministry many of the dispersion had been brought to know the Lord. And in obedience to the command given Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee he undertook to feed these sheep and lambs of Christ's flock both by word of mouth and in these epistles. He puts before them, therefore, in the strongest possible way the necessity of keeping in mind the holy scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. The Old Testament had been complete for centuries, but the New Testament was not yet complete, nevertheless many of its books were in circulation already, and among them were all the epistles of Paul, as we shall see later in considering the closing verses of this same chapter. Recognizing in these books the testimony of God Himself who, by the Holy Spirit, had inspired the human authorship of each portion of the Word, 
Peter urges the saints not to neglect the Scriptures but ever keep them in their hearts, in order that they may shed light not only on the present pathway but also on the future to which they were hastening. It had been predicted again and again by both prophets and apostles that in the last days there would be those who would utterly repudiate the truth of a divine revelation as to the return of the Lord. These scoffers would hate the truth because it interfered with their own selfish desires, and would sneer at the very possibility of the second advent of the Saviour. That of which Peter spoke as being in the future and as that which would be manifested in the last days we now see fully developed all around us. Everywhere we find men walking after their own ungodly lusts, deriding the doctrine of the imminent return of the Lord as though it were something utterly ridiculous and not to be considered for a moment by sober-minded people. Even in the pulpits of professedly orthodox churches there are many ministers today who take this stand, either denying that the Bible itself teaches the second coming of Christ, or else maintaining that even though predicted by Christ and taught by His apostles, it is all to be looked upon as an idle dream. These men ask contemptuously, where is the promise of His coming? They declare that, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation, that is, they insist that there is no evidence whatever in the history of the past or in conditions prevailing at the present time that indicate the fulfillment of any prophetic declarations. Though wise as to the things of this world, they are absolutely ignorant of the signs of the times, signs which spiritually-minded and godly men discern readily, but which these carnal and sensual leaders of religious thought ignore completely. As in the days before the flood the men of Noah's day refused to give credence to the testimony of the Lord in regard to a coming judgment and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so will it be with many in this generation who contemptuously discard all that Scripture teaches in regard to the coming day of the Lord, while all the time the world is rushing forward into the fearful vortex of that day of wrath. Many have forgotten that, by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. The men who lived in antediluvian times said unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways, Job 21 verse 14. As Eliphaz reminded Job when he said, Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden? Which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood, which said unto God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me, Job 22 verses 15-18. So it will be with many in this age. They are willingly ignorant of God's dealings with men in the past, and therefore refuse to believe in any predictions of judgments to come. There is something very striking in the expression, kept in store, reserved unto fire. The passage might be translated, the heavens and the earth are stored with fire, awaiting the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. We might have some conception of what this means as we think of the fearful catastrophe produced by the atomic bomb, which was, even to those who discovered it, a terrible revelation of the powers for destruction which are reserved in the heavens. When earth's long day has run its course there will come not another flood but a universal conflagration which will sweep this globe clean of all that men have built up during the millennia of the past, and prepare for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The Day of the Lord and the Day of God
But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us ward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot, and blameless, verses 8-14. Because these willfully ignorant men do not see the evidences of this they deny what they do not understand, and, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil, as we are told in the book of Ecclesiastes, 8-11. If judgment seems to tarry it is not because God has forgotten, but rather because of his deep concern about lost men whom, in his loving-kindness, he still desires to save. Our thoughts are not his thoughts, neither are our ways his ways, but as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways above our ways, and his thoughts above our thoughts, Isaiah 55 verse 8. A thousand years may seem a long time to men whose span of life very seldom reaches a century, but one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Not two days have passed, therefore, according to the divine reckoning, since the Lord Jesus went away after giving the promise, I will come again. John 14 verse 3 It is not, then, that the Lord is slack regarding His promise, as men are disposed to think, but His heart still goes out to those who are persisting in rebellion against Him, and he waits in grace still proclaiming the gospel message, and offering salvation to all who turn to him in repentance, because he is not willing that any should perish. But when at last the day of grace is ended the day of the Lord will succeed it, and that day will come to unbelievers as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is not to be confounded with the day of Christ, which refers to the return of the Lord in the air to call his saints to be with himself, when they will appear before His judgment seat to be rewarded according to the measure of their faithfulness to Him while they have been pilgrims here below. The day of the Lord follows that. It will be the time when the judgments of God are being poured out upon the earth. It includes the descent of the Lord with all His saints to execute judgment on His foes, and to take P.O.S. session of the kingdom so long predicted, and to reign in righteousness for a thousand glorious years in this very world where He once was crucified. As that great day of the Lord closes the heavens and the earth shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. This last expression is far easier understood today than it ever has been in past centuries, because of recent discoveries in connection with the explosive power of certain elements, such as uranium, when brought under terrific pressure. Following the destruction of the created heavens and this lower universe as we now know them, will come the fulfillment of the prediction of Isaiah, 65 17, 
concerning a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness will dwell forever. This eternal condition is the day of God, in view of which the present created heavens and earth will be destroyed. The day of God is unending, it includes all the ages to come when sin will be forever banished from the universe, and righteousness will be everywhere manifest. Righteousness suffers during the present age. Those who would walk in obedience to the Word of God often are persecuted by those who seek to maintain the present order of things. In the millennium righteousness will reign, the authority of the Lord Jesus will be everywhere established, and evil will be held down, but in the eternal state righteousness will dwell, for all evil will have been banished to the lake of fire. A Final Warning and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen, verses 15-18. So then God's patience and long-suffering with mankind throughout all the centuries of human history are ever with a view to the salvation of any who will turn to Him, confessing their sin and believing the message of His grace. Peter adds, Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you. This is very clearly an authentication of the Pauline authorship of the epistle to the Hebrews. There can be no other writing to which he refers in this verse. As we have seen, Peter himself was addressing converted Jews or Hebrews. He tells us that the Apostle Paul had written a letter to the same people. There is no other of Paul's letters addressed to converted Jews but the Epistle to the Hebrews. And in that Epistle to the Hebrews Paul corroborates the testimony of Peter in regard to these eschatological truths which he has just been unfolding. In Hebrews 12 verses 25-29 We get this corroborative testimony, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape, if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Here we have set forth exactly the same truths that the Apostle Peter has been stressing. There should be no question, therefore, but that Peter was declaring that Paul was the author of this particular epistle. Then Peter goes on to say that in this special letter to the Hebrews, as also in all his epistles, Paul had spoken of these things, and in these letters there are, some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. 
In this way Peter acknowledges Paul's letters to be accepted by all believers as the very Word of God. There are, in the Epistle to the Hebrews particularly, a number of passages which have caused untold distress to those who have but a feeble understanding of God's great plan. Take such passages, for instance, as Hebrews 6 verses 4-8 and 10-26-31. How often has the devil used these scriptures to trouble unstable souls with the awful thought that perhaps they have committed some unpardonable sin and so are hopelessly beyond the reach of mercy. While the passages themselves suggest nothing of the kind, yet they have been used of the enemy to disturb many. In others of Paul's writings there are passages which have been misused in the same way, but more notable in Hebrews than in any other epistle. Peter closes with two admonitions. In verse 17 he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. No one will ever thus fail who keeps his eyes on Christ and his heart fixed on those things that are above where Christ sits at God's right hand. Doctrinal error of a serious character is almost invariably connected with some moral failure. As we walk before God in holiness of life we will be preserved from destructive heresies, and as we walk in the truth we will be kept from sin in the life. The final admonition is found in the last verse, Grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. This is the unfailing panacea for all spiritual ills. As we go on to know Christ better and become increasingly like Him, and as we feed upon His Word, and it has its sway over our hearts, our progress will be consistent and continuous. The final doxology is a very brief but a very precious one, to him be glory both now and fover amen. How Peter's own heart must have been moved as he wrote these words. He had known Christ intimately in the days of his flesh, he himself had failed so grievously on the night of the betrayal, he had been restored so blessedly, both secretly and publicly, by the Lord Himself, so that Christ had become the all-absorbing passion of His soul. He alone deserved all the praise and all the glory, and that to the age of ages, the uttermost limits of that day of God, the day of eternity of which we have been reading.